that money. DraftKings session number two. UFC Nganu versus Junior Dos Santos. Spectate while your pockets accumulate. Welcome to Make That Money DraftKings Sessions Episode 2 and I'm your host Uber Mike. It's a new week, it's a new UFC event and it's a new opportunity to make that money. I broke down the tape. I exploited the matchups and I'm here to give it to you all. I'm here to give you the nitty-gritty on what you need in order to create your optimal lineup and make that money. Before I get into the breakdown, Click on the referral link below and sign up on DraftKings if you haven't signed up yet. And you'll receive 10 DraftKings dollars to apply towards any contest. So with no further ado, let's go ahead and let's get into this event. UFC on ESPN3 in Ganu versus Junior Dos Santos taking place this Saturday, June 29th. Check your local listings. Francis Ngannou, Junior Dos Santos. We got Francis Ngannou at $8,800 on DraftKings and Junior Dos Santos at $7,400 on DraftKings. You got to ask yourself this question. Can Junior Dos Santos not get hit or in the case that he does get hit, can he survive the power of Francis Ngannou? Junior Dos Santos, he's been looking good in his two-fight win streak against pretty respectable hitters. And Derek Lewis and Tai Tuivasa. But they're nowhere on the speed or the power hitting grain of Francis Ngannou. Junior Dos Santos, while looking at the tape, still shows the same mistakes that have gotten him in trouble in the past. Puts himself squarely up against the cage. Is hittable. His jab doesn't really... I wouldn't really say his jab. I will say his boxing isn't really defensive it's more offensive it's more to set up his overhand right or his right straight nothing that can keep him at bay or to help him score points unless he's going against a much slower opponent at the same time he's a little bit gray in the hairs he's an older guy way older than I wouldn't say way older but about three years older than Francis Ngannou so the speed advantage is it there I don't see it there with Francis Ngannou his weaknesses as wrestlers. And you have to ask the question, can Junior Dos Santos implement that wrestling game? From the tape I saw, Junior Dos Santos is a black belt in jiu-jitsu, but I don't see him being able to get in close enough on Nganu in order to implement that wrestling. Junior Dos Santos, he doesn't really use the jab. A lot of his punches he uses to set stuff up, or his strikes, I may say, are his calf kick and his straight to the body and his overhand right. He does flash the jab here and there, but not enough to take advantage of Ngannou's load-up counter style. With this matchup, if you roster Junior Dos Santos in your DraftKings lineup, you're holding your breath. You're hoping each and every round that not only can Junior Dos Santos do it enough to win each round in the in the judges' eyes and rack up DraftKings points, but doesn't get that touch of death by Ngannou. With Ngannou, you're just waiting for him to knock Junior Dos Santos out. Fight prediction-wise, even though I love the guy, I can't see him winning. Junior Dos Santos is going to get knocked out in this bout. But from a DraftKings perspective, both fighters are very rosterable. 
with Jun- with Francis Ngannou at $8,800, you're looking for the knockout. You're not paying that much for a nice, subtle decision. You're looking for violence, and you're looking for a bang to cap up your cap off your night of watching these fights. With Junior Dos Santos, you need him to survive. You need him to survive, not only survive, but you also need him to put up a boxing display, which may possibly not knock out Francis Ngannou. I don't see that happening because Francis Ngannou has shown great durability or Francis Ngannou being gassed out by the boxing work of Junior Dos Santos and this fight leading into a unanimous decision. In the co-main event, we have Joseph Benavides at $8,400 and Jusser Formiga at $7,800 on DraftKings. This bout is for the number one content, number one contender in 125 weight division to go up against Henry Cejudo. Super important bout with lots on the line. With Formiga, you're looking at a black belt in jiu-jitsu who's currently on a three-fight win streak. And with Joseph Benavides, you're looking at a former Team Alpha Male member who's on a two-fight win streak. With Formiga, his game is simple. He'll strike with you here and there. His striking isn't anything to glamour at. And look for any sort of opening to exploit to get in, take you down, control you, and look for the submission. But most importantly, he's looking to control. A lot of times, whenever he's able to secure his takedown and able to get down on the ground, he's controlling, he's killing clock. It's good from a DraftKings standpoint if you got him at a pretty reasonable price. But a lot of times, he's not chasing the finish or anything. Just trying to control and trying to win the fight. With Joseph Benavides, Joseph Benavides, he's been around for a while. His game is simple. Wrestling and putting punches together and taking the opponent out. With Formiga and Benavides, they have history. They fought each other back in 2013 with Benavides getting the best of Formiga, TKOing him in the first round. But Formiga is not the same fighter in 2013 as he is today. But the same could be said about Benavides. Benavides may be slowing down a little bit, but Benavides still shows great takedown defense, great takedown offense, and a sort of unpredictable striking style which attacks the body and the head and breaks his opponent down. Where Formiga... And him looking for those openings, I don't believe he has the speed advantage in order to get in on Benavidez and take him down and to hold him down. And even if he were to take him down, how long can he take him down? Because Benavidez, whenever he hits the mat, he's like a cat in water. He just springs right back up and he starts putting his hands on Formiga or any other of his opponents who try to take him down. With Formiga... Formiga, Formiga, Formiga is an interesting case. There's he could possibly win this fight, but based off of Benavides's last two fights, especially that hellacious pace he put on with against Dustin Ortiz, or being able to stuff in the takedowns of Alex Perez in the fight before that, and able to put the hands on him and, and take him out, I just I don't see how Formiga wins this fight convincingly. As I can see Joseph Benavides winning this fight convincingly. From a fight prediction standpoint, I see Benavides winning this by unanimous decision. From a DraftKings standpoint, it stands on what you believe in.
if you like just uh, Formiga's price at 7800 and you think he'll be able to secure those open takedowns that Benavides will be able to give him and ride it out to a, a unanimous decision, he's definitely rosterable on that standpoint. But with Benavides and the many other fighters that Formiga has lost to, he's a wrestler. Formiga has also lost to Henry Cejudo, a wrestler. He's lost to many other wrestlers as well that I can't think of off the top of my head. But I see Benavidez taking this. Benavidez is definitely a DraftKings lock to me. He has many ways of winning this. Even if Formiga comes in and engages with Benavidez, I don't see how Benavidez gets controlled and taken down to the ground. And Formiga, if you look at his last three wins, they're all against strikers. And now he's facing his uh, facing a wrestler after quite some time. I think the last wrestler he went against, Ray Borg. There we go. Ray Borg was back in 2015. So you're talking about four years off before facing another after, before facing another wrestler. So Benavides is definitely a lock for me in this card. And I see him winning this fight by unanimous decision. Next up, we have Damian Maya at the DraftKings price of 8600 versus Tony Rocco Martin. At the DraftKings price at 7600 Damian Maya has came back and won his recent fight. Before that, he was on a really bad three-fight losing streak. But if you look at the theme of those last three fights, they were all wrestlers who were able to stop his constant takedown game and were able to also put pressure and hands on him in the stand-up department. Damian Maya's game is simple. He wants to pressure you take you down, pressure you with this jiu-jitsu, take your back, or take any sort of opportunity you give him and submit you. He's not trying to outbox you. He's not trying to outpoint you. He just wants to get his jiu-jitsu on you and take you out. With Rocco Martin, you're looking at a kid who was at 155, a really big 155-er, and moving up to 170, and is currently on a four-fight win streak at 170. Also, BJJ Black Belt, not at the level at Demian Maya. Don't quote me at that. He's not at the level at Demian Maya, but he's also a BJJ Black Belt. And he shows to have a pretty a pretty, pretty good lateral movement. Pretty good side-to-side movement. Really good backhand in regards to the right straight and the right uppercuts he sets up. A really good back head kick. And a really good DraftKings price. With Demian Maya... You're looking for him to do what he's always done against most of his opponents, albeit not being a wrestler or not being able to stop his takedown. But with Rocco Martin and his ties with the uh, ATT, who also has Kobe Covington, who beat Damian Maya, who also has Jorge Masvidal training there, who all, he didn't beat Damian Maya, but he went to split decision. I believe Rocco Martin has has he, he's pretty aware of what he's up against. And from a fight prediction standpoint, I can see him winning this fight by a split decision. This is going to be a very, very, very close fight. Maya will take Tony Martin down. And the big question is, how soon can he get back up? On top of that, you have to also have to see, will he be able to put his strikes together? And will he be able to take Maya out? I don't think that happens. Maya's super durable. 
I don't even remember when the last time I has been taken out. But with Martin on this four fight win streak, with Damian Maya being 41 years old, we don't know what he's going to look like athletically. We don't know if he's going to be able to shoot constantly like he's done in the past. And from a DraftKings standpoint, if you roster Damian Maya, Damian Maya is definitely rosterable, but you need him to secure takedowns. You need him to secure a submission. If he does go to split decision and defeats Rocco Martin, then in my opinion, it's a DraftKings slot waste. Well, no win's really a waste, but then at the same time, at 8600 you could have paid an extra 200 bucks on your DraftKings roster and gotten Nganu. With Tony Martin at 7600 if he is to win this bout, I don't see it being a devastating finish. You're looking at him as more of a minority play. Within your respective DraftKings pool, majority of contestants will pick Damian Maia just based off of his reputation, especially against guys who aren't decorated Division I All-American wrestlers. So you're looking at probably like a 40%, 50% ownership within your competitive pool. With Rocco Martin, you're probably looking at lower 20s in the teens percentage ownage with Rocco Martin on respective rosters. Don't expect a, don't expect a lot of points from him, but at the same time, expect to have that edge, especially whenever it comes down to that top 10% of who's getting the big kind of money and then within their respective DraftKings pool. Like I mentioned before, both roster, both fighters are rosterable, but I'm leaning on Rocco Martin for the upset. Next up, we have Roosevelt Roberts at the DraftKings price of 8900 and Vince Passell at the DraftKings price at 7300 I'd like to start out and say that I do not like Roosevelt Roberts' DraftKings price. Yes, he's undefeated. Yes, he's on the two-fight win streak in the UFC. And yes, he... He has the takedown capability, which has been Pacell's Achilles heel so far with, with this with his comeback into the UFC. But Pacell, he's super durable, man. He's going to get into the face of Roosevelt Roberts and he's going to make this fight grimy. Well, that's the hope, at least, because from the tape, he tends to throw very, very, very low volume. And I'm talking about Pacell here. A lot of times you can tell that he's looking for a counter. He's looking for someone or his opponent to come in super recklessly and then get hit with his bombs. I notice that's a lot of times that's when he's able to open up and put his hands together and such. But with Roosevelt Roberts, he won't play that game. He's super long. He's gonna he has a he has really good head movement. He has like a sort of shoulder roll esque kind of defense and seems that he doesn't mind taking this to the decision. With this bout Fight prediction-wise, Roosevelt Roberts should win this fight pretty handily by unanimous decision. Pacell is pretty hard to finish. And so, from a DraftKings perspective, that's why I want to fade Roosevelt Roberts. Because at 8900 you could just pay 100 bucks less and take Nganu. I know, I'm boosting Nganu a lot. But with him, you get your bang for your buck. And there's many other fighters within this $9,000 upper $8,000 range who can pay you out a lot better based on their matchups than Roosevelt Roberts. Roosevelt Roberts is going against a super tough Purcell who is super durable, has is susceptible to the takedown, but I don't see him getting finished 
without getting grinded out down there. And Roosevelt Roberts doesn't possess that sort of wrestling, destructive grind that can really open up Purcell. Purcell at 7,300. He's definitely rosterable if you're running low on DraftKings funds and you just need to stick one of these lower $7,000, higher $6,000 guys because you'll probably last all three rounds. He'll score a couple strikes here, and you're just hoping he scores as many points as possible if he is to lose. But if he wins, damn, that's pretty awesome. And at the same time, talking about the last bout with Tony Martin, low ownership within your DraftKings pool that you can also leverage as well. But fading Roosevelt Roberts and DraftKings, Purcell is definitely rosterable, but that's only in the case of DraftKings funds are running low and you just need to stick one of these lower guys in. He's definitely not a go-to underdog play for your DraftKings lineup, but Roosevelt Roberts, fight prediction-wise, he takes the fight. Next up, we have Drew Dober with the DraftKings price of 9500 and Polo Reyes at the DraftKings price of 6700 Let me start out and say that Drew Dober is too damn expensive. Too damn expensive. This is a fight he can definitely win because looking at the tape of Polo Reyes, Polo Reyes, he has good head movement. Whenever he does slip and tries to counter, he puts oomph into the shots. He's throwing kill shots. But if you look at it from like a like a technical boxing kind of sense, whenever he does slip and slip, it's not very smooth. It's not very relaxed. It's very forced and it's very gritty. And especially if you watch his losses, fighters or strikers, I would like to say, who have a pretty smooth stand-up game, who are able to vary their their flow and vary their rhythm, really throw off Polo Reyes' head, head movement and at times make him look super hittable. He also has been dabbling a bit in Muay Thai and he throwed leg kicks and such. But another thing, too, that I noticed about Polo Reyes, which is really, really, really glaring, this guy's ground game is non-existent. In fact, if Drew Dober decides to shoot on him, which I wouldn't be surprised if he does in this upcoming bout, if he decides to shoot on Polo Reyes, take him down and control him and pound him out and such, Polo Reyes has no answer. Polo Reyes, you can you can just tell all this guy works on is his stand-up. Wrestling, jiu-jitsu, ground game, be damned. It's all about banging it out, moving your head, giving the fans a show. Drew Dober, super light on his feet, man. Super light on his feet. Lie on his toes. Has a nice little faint rhythm game. Whenever he puts his strikes together, he puts it together nice. Drew Dober, also, he's weak against guys who, you know, who can take him down, who can wrestle him and such. But Polo Reyes ain't that. Polo Reyes is here to stand up. And that's why the DraftKings price is so hugely disparate. But that 9500 man, that is too freaking expensive man too expensive like i said let's get to the fight predictions in the DraftKings breakdown from a fight prediction standpoint drew dober wins this fight by knockout i see him getting either a late second round knockout or a mid to late third round knockout but from a DraftKings perspective if you put drew dober in your lineup he better score 100 points no if answer but if he scores 99.9 points on DraftKings. It's a bad day. It's a bad day. 
You need him to score 100 points or more. You need him to put it on Polo Reyes super early, or you need him to work him from pillar to post, from round one to three. Also, another thing you need to consider as well at that DraftKings price for Drew Dober is it's not going to leave your lineup a lot of flexibility. There's a lot of underdogs in the $7,000 range who are not sexy picks. Can't put them in your lineup because you can't just can't freaking trust them, man. And Drew Dober is going to suffocate your lineup. With Polo Reyes, he's definitely playable at 6,700, but you're hoping Drew Dober keeps it banging or keeps it standing for the fans. I meant to say banging for the fans, whatever. You hopefully Polo, you're hoping Polo Reyes keeps it standing and he keeps it, you know, back and forth with Drew Dober. Because if Drew Dober shoots on him, he's going to get the takedown. Polo Reyes ain't getting back up, which means no draft king points for you. On top of that, Polo Reyes, you better, you're also hoping that he's able to catch. Drew Dober with one of those big winging shots he likes to throw whenever he slips punches. But Drew Dober is super smooth, man. I see Drew Dober fainting Polo Reyes and putting him away. So this fight overall from a DraftKings standpoint, you can roster either one of these fighters. I don't see any qualms with that, but there's definitely some downsides with that. Personally speaking, this fight's a fade. I'm not rostering either one of these guys in my respective DraftKings lineup. Next matchup, we have Alonzo Menafield versus Paul Craig. Alonzo Menafield with the DraftKings price at $9,000 and Paul Craig with the DraftKings price at $7,200. Paul Craig is living on a prayer. Let's cut to the chase. Menafield is a DraftKings lock. You want this guy on your roster. You want him on your roster. You want him on your roster. Paul Craig's stand-up is absolutely awful. He does shoot for takedowns, but the takedowns have no conviction. He doesn't pull through his takedowns. He doesn't carry through. A lot of times he shoots once, he doesn't chain anything, and he falls right on his back. Recently, especially in his in his wins, he gets him in a very Hail Mary kind of style. His opponent will be beating him up. And his opponent will be super careless on the ground, and he'll lock him up in some sort of armbar or triangle choke but Alonzo Menafield what's really interesting about this matchup with him and Paul Craig is his teammate from Fortis MMA fought Paul Craig recently and was whooping Paul Craig from pillar to post until he got super careless down there and Paul Craig submitted him in the third round now we have his teammate Alonzo Menafield over here fighting against Paul Craig you know damn well Fortis is they know all the tricks to trade with Paul Craig and they know he's not going to come in with anything new. So the only concern with Alonzo Menafield is him being reckless on the ground, which I don't see that, especially with what happened with his uh, fight mate who went against Paul Craig and also him not blowing his wad because he will go for the knockout. You're just hoping that he stays patient and he puts his strikes together because Paul Craig is literally a punching bag. At $9,000, pretty expensive, but not too expensive. You could definitely slide that in your lineup and then you could definitely make that work. Well, Paul Craig at $7,200, like I said, you are living on a prayer. You are hoping that Menafield comes in and didn't eat his Wheaties that night and falls into a triangle choke or an arm bar. I see Menafield fight prediction wise. KO and Paul Craig, 
early second round, best case scenario, mid to late first round. DraftKings-wise, I'm drafting Menafield. He's another lock. I really like him. I really believe that he's going to go in there and knock out Paul Craig. If you're, like I mentioned, DraftKings-wise, if you are rostering Paul Craig, you are living on a prayer. You are hoping, hoping, hoping that he locks up a triangle choke or something or Menafield just slips on a banana peel and gets locked up in a submission. Don't see it happening. Fade Paul Craig. Roster Menafield. And if you have multiple rosters, put this guy in all of them. Next up, we have Ricardo Ray- Ramos at the DraftKings price of 9100 and Journey Newson at the DraftKings price of 7100 This fight... I'm going to go ahead, even though I'm jumping the gun a bit here. This this fight was really hard to get a read on. And the only reason why was finding recent fight tape of Journey Newsom was very, very, very difficult. The fights that I was able to find were from the year 2015 and 2016. And he's had fights as recent as mid-2019 and late-2018. Two fights late-2018. But... You can only find clips on that on his Instagram, and that's like the end result of the fight. Nothing to show his movement or his takedowns or anything. So the only thing we really know is he's coming in at short notice, short guy, and he, from the recent tape I watched, or the, the limited tape I watched, he's a wrestler. He has a boxing background. He's taken some boxing exhibition matchups. But when you look at his boxing, his shoulders kind of look, you, you can see he's not very comfortable boxing, you know. But with Ricardo Ramos, Ricardo Ramos, there's nothing too spectacular about this guy. He's young, yeah, he can move, he throws strikes and such, but he's coming off a loss, a TKO loss in his most recent fight. And his most recent finish was... A fluky spinning back elbow, which landed late in the third round. This this fight fight. Uh, let's just get to it. Fight prediction wise, Ricardo Ramos should win this fight by decision. But I say that very hesitantly because I don't know what Journey Newsom is bringing into this bout. Obviously, if you look at statistics, UFC sh- short notice fighters who come in and are making their UFC debut don't typically have such the greatest time winning their fights. Most of the time they lose. But with Ricardo Ramos, he's just been so underwhelming. And if we have to go ahead and jump into the DraftKings pricing at 9100 forget about it. Not paying it. I don't care if Ricardo Ramos is on all the PEDs, all the drugs. If he hits like one punch man, not rostering this guy. Watching the tape, seeing his fights, he's not impressive. Most of the time, he seems to coast unless the finish is blatantly there. And I don't really see that with Journey Newsom. With Journey Newsom, he's definitely rosterable, but you're just doing that for the surprise factor. Because most people are going to see Journey Newsom in their DraftKings uh, pool. And I'm, I'm sorry, in their uh, DraftKings little display thing and say, who the hell is this guy? He doesn't have any DraftKings points or anything like that. Do I really want to take a chance on this guy? Journey Newsom falls into the same category as Pacell, who was $7,300. And it's simply, if you're running low on DraftKings real estate or DraftKings funding, and you just need to stick someone in. But if he gets points, if he survives, great. If he gets the win, crap. That's awesome.
Next bout, we have Eric Anders at $9,400 on DraftKings versus Vincus Moriah at $6,800 on DraftKings. Moriah is a punching bag. This guy skipped boxing class. He, sp- he skipped Muay Thai class. He skipped all the classes related to bo- to, to striking in general. He only goes to jiu-jitsu, and his strategy is hit him in the face. Hopefully, he gets close enough to you, grabs you, takes you down. When watching his tape, a lot of his fights were at a local, regional, I wouldn't say even regional scene. It was at like, like some fight league in India, and he's fighting against guys who are on all kinds of steroids, who don't know how to spell fight, who literally are doing this for beer money, and he's having their, his way with them. He gets the UFC fight against Menafield, who I mentioned earlier before. Put him in your lineups. Lock him up. But anyway, he gets the fight against Menafield, and he's literally eating shot after shot after shot. Fails at a takedown. Tries the same category again, but eventually his brain said, I had enough, and he went out in the first round. But he may have a chance here against Eric Anders. Eric Anders, former Alabama football star back in the days with Colt McCoy and such. This ain't a football podcast, but he's athletic, as they like to say. This guy, his fight IQ is non-existent. A lot of times, especially when you roster him, you just don't know where you're going to get from him. He's on a three-fight losing streak, and he does have the capability of putting Mariah away because Mariah is literally, he's literally just, he's, he's a target, basically. But then, will Eric Anders be able to have the fight IQ and awareness to not go to the ground with Mariah, to be able to defend the takedowns of Mariah, to not even try to take down Mariah and put combinations together? Do you even have enough sense to put punches and combinations together in order to take Mariah out? And that's something that is very, very risky to find out, especially at the DraftKings price of 9400 This goes back to the Drew Dober thing, Drew Dober being at 9500 9400 is, I'm not trying to spend that much money on my DraftKings roster in order to find out if Eric Anders is able to put together a competent game plan and take out Mariah. From a fight prediction standpoint, Eric Anders should win this fight by knockout. Should in all caps, quotation marks. DraftKings wise, I'm not touching Eric Anders. I don't know where this guy's head's at. I don't know if he's going to actually follow the game plan to take out Mariah, even though the, the, the game plan is as clear as day. And Mariah is simply rosterable, just based on Eric Anders' super low fight IQ. You're hoping that Mariah is able to get in, get, take, get a takedown, work his top game in Jiu Jitsu. This top game's respectable, it's pretty good. But man, you're going to be biting your nails hard whenever you see Mariah just eating punches like Homer Simpson. So, Eric Anders is a definite fade. I'm not rostering him anywhere. Mariah is definitely rosterable. But, you're going to be, I've been saying this a lot, you're going to be holding your breath. But this this guy, I'm, I'm telling you, you listening to this podcast can put hands on Mariah. Point blank simple. Next bout, we have Jordan Griffin with the DraftKings price of $9,300 and Vince Murdoch coming in at short notice, two weeks notice, at $6,900. Griffin's going to run through Murdoch. There's not really much to break down. Murdoch, yeah, he trains at Team Alpha Male. He 
was on a nice little win streak earlier in his career and then kind of like skid off. He fought in the same Indian Promotion League as Moriah, but he was actually losing to these low-tier fighters. A couple of them were kind of bullshit losses, but either way, it, it just it doesn't look good. Whenever looking up YouTube footage about this guy and tape from the regional scene, the guys he he's fought are just, they're not on the level of Jordan Griffin. They're not on the movement. They're not on the scrappiness or anything of that sort of Jordan Griffin. Yes, he trains at Team Alpha Male, but it seems that he's just, he's he, he's fat, man. Obviously, he's in the coming in shape. We'll see Friday. But Griffin, Griffin's in shape. He recently fought Dan Ige. And if you listen to my last podcast, I was all over Ige. Ige's just improving and improving and improving. And most, and Jordan Griffin is, is like Ige's toughest fight most recently. And he was, he's just real scrappy, man. He can move. He can put punches together. He can hunt for submissions. In fact, fight predictions wise, I'll just go ahead and jump into it. Fight prediction wise, I see Jordan Griffin winning this fight by submission. Second round submission is what I'm seeing. The question is, though, is that DraftKings price at 9300 worth it? Well, the 6900 of Murdoch, definitely not worth it. That's one thing that's funny about this card. There's not a lot of values the 7,000s, 6,000s price range. So you really got to dig. You really got to scrape and find like, oh, do I want this guy or not? You know, and a lot of times, like I mentioned many, many, many times on this podcast, you're just holding your breath. Murdoch is a definite fade. Fade this guy. Two weeks notice. Looked terrible in the regional scene, even though he's won his most recent regional scene fight. Coming in at short notice. Don't like that at all. Jordan Griffin. Movement. Scrappy can put combinations together. I don't see Murdoch's wrestling threatening Jordan Griffin. That seems to be his weakness, the wrestling. But I don't see Murdoch coming in here and getting takedowns. He just Murdoch is is a typical 2000s MMA fighter. Overhand right, overhand left, real plotty, real low volume. I don't even think he's going to be able to cut off Griffin or anything. At 9,300, he's rosterable, but I wouldn't be putting him everywhere. There's more better values at the 9,000 up at, uh, at the 9,000 upper 8,000 range that you could put in your roster but Jordan Jordan Griffin he'll get the job done in this fight I really like this matchup right here we got Jared Gordon at the DraftKings price of 9,200 versus Dan Moret at the DraftKings price at 7,000 Dan Moret fights like a bum you see the height difference there. Six foot to Jared Gordon's 5'9". And you also see the recent, the four-inch reach advantage. But that won't matter with Dan Moret. Dan Moret's fighting style is nasty. And I don't mean nasty in a good way. Like nasty, like unnecessary. Unnecessarily putting himself in really terrible positions. He fights like a short fighter, even though he's a tall fighter. And even though he's coming off of two UFC losses and... He's needing to win this bout in order to keep his job with the UFC. I just don't I don't see him coming in and putting in a smart game plan. His last two fights, most of the time he's looking for the takedown because he's really respectable on the ground, but his takedowns aren't convincing. His takedowns, they don't chain together really well. They're just really it's a really ugly, nasty style. I'm telling you, if you roster Dan Moret, you're gonna you're gonna see how nasty it is. You're gonna you're gonna feel sick for even putting him putting him on your lineup. With Jared Gordon at ninety two hundred dollars, 
pretty expensive. I can I, I can tell. You see that price, like man, that's too expensive. But Jared Gordon comes to fight. He puts punches together. He puts kicks together. He don't believe in stepping back. He only believes in stepping forward. In his last fight, he tore his hamstring. It's been six months since that fight. He healed, but even on a torn hamstring, he was standing toe-to-toe with a dangerous Brazilian banger and was throwing blows with that dude. He got TKO'd, yes, but Jerry Gordon at 9,200, man. He, all his wins, looking at the DraftKings breakdowns on all his wins, he has scored 100 points, and he comes to fight. He is a DraftKings darling and you want him on your roster. Fight prediction-wise, Jerry Gordon takes out Moret. Second-round knockout. DraftKings-wise, yeah, DraftKings-wise, Jerry Gordon is rosterable. We can't roster. There's so many favorites on this card. Like I mentioned before, there's so many, like, not-so-sexy $7,000, $6,000 range fighters, but there's a lot of sexy higher $8,000s to... $9,000 fighters. So you got to be really, really, really picky on who you're going to put in your lineup. Another thing you have to consider is just the matchup. And I like this matchup with Jared Gordon. Even though he's the shorter guy with the shorter reach, Dan Moret will, will do most of the work for him. Dan Moret will come straight at him. Dan Moret comes forward straight. He goes backward straight. He doesn't believe in lateral lateral movement. He doesn't believe in head movement. His style is, is just really, really, really terrible for this matchup. I see Jared Gordon coming in, putting the hands on Moret. I'm not scared of, of Moret's ground game because Jared Gordon's a brown belt. He's able to handle himself down there. Not only that, he's able to go for some takedowns himself, but he... He, he wants your entertainment dollars. He, this man just got a new contract. He's gonna get paid, and you're gonna get you're gonna make that money putting him in your lineup. Now we're gonna break down this women's MMA's fight with Emily Whitmire at eighty five hundred dollars and Amanda Rebus making her UFC debut at seventy seven hundred dollars. With Amanda Rebus, the last time she fought, I believe, was in 2016, 2015. During that time, she got signed with the UFC, but she popped with the USADA violation. So, yeah, she's been training and such, but it just, we don't know what she's going to look like come fight night. And there's this narrative, there's this narrative of, oh, she's getting better. She's she's looking, you know, we don't know what she's going to look like. She's, she may not look like what I saw on the tape from her last fight in 2016 or 2015 or so, but it's it's hard to jump on that narrative. But it's much easier. Um, I'm sorry. It's hard to jump on that narrative for her, but it's much easier to jump on that narrative for Emily Whitmire. Emily Whitmire fought through the tough house, was on a bit of a losing streak, lost a pretty some pretty good competition, by the way, in her respective weight class, and is recently on a two fight win streak and just looked better and better and better and better. I've read this this trash about her having anxiety and such, but come on, you're, you're fighting. Like who doesn't have anxiety? And at 8,500, that's a good price. It's a good price. And I can see her putting it on Rebus. Rebus, Rebus's game is super limited, man. Let me tell you. She, her only takedown is this head and arm throw that she does off the cage. Whenever she has her opponent up, up against the cage, at least. And her striking is, her striking's terrible. Chin straight up. Throwing bows, flat-footed, what's head movement, what's foot movement, who cares, man? She just wants to just throw, and hopefully you stand in one spot, and you oblige, and hopefully you're the one who goes out before she goes out. In fact, she lost a 
Poliana Viana. If you don't know who that is, if you know who that is, you know how bad that is. But she lost to Poly Poliana. I'm sorry, Poliana Viana by knockout. If you're getting knocked out by Viana, <laughs> I, I I don't know. I don't know. But Emily Whitmire, she's been getting better and better each fight. Her striking is it's respectable for women's MMA. Her takedowns is what what's really impressing me. She's timing them well. Whenever she does get on top, she's advancing position. She's looking for the finish. And like I mentioned before, she's looking better and better. Fight prediction-wise, I see Emily Whitmire winning this fight by unanimous decision. I don't see her necessarily submitting Amanda Rebus because Amanda Rebus is a black belt. But in some places, some people are getting black belts like it's candy. So we it's not Damian Maya level. Damian Maya is the highest level of black belt in MMA. But yeah, I could just see Emily Whitmire moving around Rebus's very flat-footed style putting her combination together when need be, going for takedowns when need be. This being like a smart technical fighter to Rebus is, who knows. And with Rebus, we don't know what she's going to look like. She's coming off with USADA suspension. So she made like a lot slower, a lot more terrible. She comes from the same fight league promotion as Ariana Lipsky. And if you listen to my last podcast, you know I was super down on her. And, you, and if you watch the fight, Lipsky was super flat-footed and such. I don't see Rebus coming out here and looking like, Jessica Andrade or Thug Rose or Hoanna or any of them in that fight fight uh I'm sorry DraftKings perspective Emily Whitmire is definitely rosterable I wouldn't put her everywhere per se because if she is able to get the submission then yeah she'll pay the price but I'm looking at this more from a perspective of she's able to get a decision and get you a good you know high 60 point low 70 point kind of day rebus i'm definitely passing i'm not gonna spend close to eight thousand dollars on a female fighter who just failed the usada test i don't know what she's gonna look like fight night and her last fight was 2016 passing super hard on rebus rostering my girl emily whitmire let's get it and the final bout or the opening bout of this ufc fight card is Maurice Green at $8,200 versus Junior Albini at $8,000 on DraftKings. And Junior Albini is a mess. He's lost his last three fights. In his debut, he won by knockout, but I wouldn't put too much weight on that knockout because the guy he was fighting is, the guy was sloppy, chin straight up, just open to any kind of strike. And his last three fights tell a lot because he lost uh i wouldn't say the, the the first fight he lost was a close fight i mean he lost a pretty decisive fight second fight he got submitted in his third fight recently he got knocked out and it's just really hard to tell like what exactly junior albini's good at you can say he has respectable boxing but he throws the same combination like every combination he throws it ends with a left hook and it's super predictable. His head's super straight up. And I put a lot of emphasis on head movement whenever I break down stand-up fights. Because if you're just throwing punches, rock'em, sock'em, and you're not slipping off the center line or doing anything to set up your next sequence of combinations, then you're just hittable and you're just you're an open target. And it's just hard to see what Albini can do really well. 
takedown jujitsu wise. Uh, he can get a takedown, but he just he can't really. He doesn't really have good top control. Like the last guy he fought has notoriously bad takedown defense. Got taken down and was able to pop back up and knock out Albini. And with Maurice Green at 6'7", with the 82-inch reach, Maurice Green, he really impressed me his last fight because he came in at super short notice against an opponent he's lost to in the regional scene and was able to use his length, show some pretty pretty respectable head movement, and etch the decision. And I feel like this matchup is just the UFC's way of saying, hey, thanks for coming in at short notice and Helping save the card, here's a super beatable opponent in Albini. Maurice Green also competed in glory kickboxing. He got starched there, but Albini isn't at those killers' skill level in regard to this specific matchup. At $8,200, that's a really good price to draft Maurice Green. If you roster Albini at $8,000, I can't get along with that. I just... Albini isn't terrible, but I just don't see anything special out of him. And fight prediction wise, I see Maurice Green winning this about, hmm, I'll say late TKO, third late third round TKO. Fight prediction wise is how I see him winning this bout. And DraftKings wise, I I just I mean I I trust that Maurice Green will will keep his distance. We'll put the we'll put his combination together on Albini. Albini is super hittable. On top of that, even if Albini were to take Maurice Green down, Maurice Green has shown some good Brazilian jiu-jitsu skills from the bottom. When he has a submission win within the UFC, Albini's jiu-jitsu isn't very good. It's okay, and Maurice Green's Maurice Green's to go. If you put Albini in your lineup and he happens to win, God bless you. But I don't see how he does it. And that's it for this card. I gave you the picks. I gave you the breakdown. I studied the tape. Get in DraftKings. Click on the referral link. Put your lineup together and make that money. So on Saturday, while you spectate, your pockets will accumulate. Thank you so much for tuning in to episode two of DraftKings Sessions. Next week, we'll be back at it with the big John Jones versus Tiago Santos card. And we just going to keep doing it. Tell your friends, tell your mama, tell your papa. I don't care. We out here making that money. Peace.